You don't have to have millions of dollars to benefit from the advice of a financial advisor. My husband and I not only have to make decisions about our own financial planning needs, but we also have to field questions from our kids who are now on their own. That's why I was excited to hear about the on-demand financial planning for absolutely everyone from Fearless Finance. Their business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable. They make things easy to understand and keep the stress out of making investment choices. With Fearless Finance, you meet your planner virtually who will advise you on your financial journey. Are you paying back student loans, saving for your first house? Maybe you just want to make sure your finances are okay. You can ask all your questions and get answers, no judgment. You'll be charged an hourly rate, no long-term commitment, no minimum required. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit, and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code CLEAN. Welcome to A Slob Comes Clean, the podcast. I am Dana K. White. I am the author of several books, including Organizing for the Rest of Us, my most recent book, Decluttering at the Speed of Life, and How to Manage Your Home Without Losing Your Mind. As I figure out ways to keep my own home under control, I share the truth about cleaning and organizing strategies that actually work in real life for real people, people who don't love cleaning and organizing. Thanks for joining me today. This is podcast number 336. I think I'm going to call it adjusting your home routines for health changes or something like that. Um, so I'm talking to Amy, who is a personal friend of mine. Uh, we became friends through the whole blogging world, and we'll talk about that, um, how we met and everything. But uh, I've been watching Amy go through changes in her health, and she's always kind of had that tackle it personality. And as she's gone through these changes, she's just made changes in other areas to then be able to compensate or help her be able to manage her home and the things that she wants to do, even as she's, her health has changed. And so we talk about that. We talk about some of the, just some of the aspects of that, that are, you know, grief related, like, oh, okay, this is how things are now. This is not how I pictured things were going to go. Um, but she, she also, we also talk about we talk about a book at one point, um, but we do talk about a lot of just stuff with that. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Even if you are not facing your own health challenges, all of these things apply. I, I mean, like, you know, simplifying things, identifying what's important, all those things apply. Now I do want to tell you, and I was going to say warn, but it's not really a warning, but Amy is someone who is more naturally tidy and organized. Okay. But in hearing her story, it reminded me of stories I have heard from many of you. And that is, it used to be something that I felt like I was good at. And then this fill in the blank happened in my life. And now it's a challenge like it didn't used to be. And so I've had to both adjust my expectations, adjust my tactics, my approach to how I do things. And so um, before we get into that too, I am going to let you know that if you are listening to this on the day that it comes out, take your house back is still in the middle of its flash sale. Okay. Or not the middle at the very end of, okay. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, May 5th, you can go right now and join it and get it for the flash sale price. It's actually going to stay open. So you'll still be able to join the course, get the course, go through it and all that. But we are running a, um, you know, a, a quick sale that's going to be over tonight. If you are listening to this the day that comes out. Um, also my voice sounds weird, right? I don't know. I mean, I feel fine, but it's like my voice has just gone do 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 do. So I'm glad I already had this recorded. Uh, and, I'm sorry that I'm a little rumbly here. I'm not in the podcast itself, but did just want to kind of talk about the thing that you may already be thinking. Yes, this is me. This is Dana. I just sound weird. And I feel like this happens once a year and I just kind of lose my voice. Anyway, <clears throat> so letting you know about that. Also, um, just kind of giving you that heads up that I tend to give you at this time of year, which is that 
I will soon be going on my summer break. I believe we have three more podcasts after this one, and then I'll be taking my summer break. So my main piece of advice to you, well, there are two things. First of all, subscribe to the podcast. Whatever uh, player you are normally use, you know, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Overcast, um, Spotify, wherever it is, subscribe. And I don't just say that to be like, subscribe to my podcast. Of course, I love for you to do that. But what that will do is that if you are subscribed, then in August, when I come back, it will just naturally, well, not naturally, it will automatically download that for you because it's a subscription. Okay. Where you might forget about me over the next two and a half months. And neither of us want that to happen, right? So just subscribe. So it automatically shows up when the new podcasts come out. The other thing too, is to subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, you can go to a slobcomesclean.com slash newsletter. That is where I get information out as it's needed. Like, let's say I have a speaking engagement or whatever, or something coming up and I'm able to say, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. I also send out Even over the summer, I'll send out two emails a week, usually almost every week if I can. And um, it's two blog posts where you're going to see, I'll I'll, I'll write about maybe what's going on with my life, how I'm applying this now. And then I'll say, you know, here's when I actually figured out this or anyway. It's, it's stuff. I I hear from people a lot that they get a lot out of the newsletter. It's something that shows up in your email twice a week. I know you're like, do I really want to sign up for another email? But it's me. And you like me, right? Okay, that's enough of me talking about that. Here we go. Here's my conversation with Amy. Okay, Amy, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'll tell a little bit about you and I'll let you hear me say it. And then you can tell me where I'm right and wrong. But anyway, (laughs) when I think of you, I think of you as the OG advice giver on the internet for moms. I mean, you are momadvice.com. I mean, that is your website right? Yeah. 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 Convenient name. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think the fact that you got that shows that you got it in the early, early days. And so the way we met was at, um, I think it was my second blogging conference. So the the second year of savvy blogging, which is in the olden days, right? Yeah. And, uh, you were the keynote speaker and I was just like, I want to be Amy. I just want to be Amy. She's the coolest. So, but the, the reason that I love you so much in that is that you, you built what you did online based on, Hey, I'm going to help people. I'm going to use what I'm learning to make things easier for other people. And then you did the same thing for us as bloggers. You know, you were like, Hey, this is what works. This is what doesn't, this is how I I make this into my actual business. And so you were incredibly helpful in that, but we're going to talk today about how some of that has shifted a little bit because of your chronic health issues that you have been diagnosed with recently. So you give me your version of how you got started on the internet and what it was that you do coming up to right now. Well, such a lovely, lovely introduction. And what I remember from that conference is that you were teaching about doing eBooks. And I remember taking your class and just being completely blown away by you. So the feelings are completely mutual. And obviously you are doing very well for yourself. If I have a very tiny part in in being some part of a mentor in your experience. I really appreciate that. Um, I started this site in 2004. It was intended really in the beginning, I had planned to be a mob blog because that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing a little bit about our family's stories. And as my kids got older, I think a lot of people would say the same thing is that you start getting very protective of your family's privacy. We had been going through some secondary infertility and some things that felt more private at the time. And I thought, you know, maybe I can pivot this platform that I've built up and community and take them along on the journey. And so I was thinking about some of the things that you know, initially I had started doing was talking a little bit about saving money and how people could have a really good life. At the time, it didn't feel like something that people could do. Like if they were trying to save money, it seemed like something you had to sacrifice for, that it wasn't a lifestyle anyone would want to be part of. And so I told my husband that I thought I should pivot it in a direction where I was teaching women how great it is to save money. I was learning 
right along with everyone else, which is why having a site called Mom Advice is pretty presumptuous, um, <laughs> you know, that I could offer anything because at the time I really had no idea what I was doing as a parent. I really didn't know what I was doing as a homemaker. I didn't know how to clean or care for anything. I did not know how to prepare food. There was a lot of things that I didn't really understand myself because I think there is a lost art of teaching that to our kids and also that our kids wanna learn that kind of stuff too. And so when I was learning it, I basically took my reader on their journey with me. So I decided I will pivot this space into like simple living and teaching people that there is a good life on a small budget. And that's kind of where I got started. And I have been blogging ever since. So it's been like 19 years. My kid is 19, he's gonna be 20 in July. And I started the site when he was just a year old. So That's it has amazing. grown into more of a place where I would feel more at home with that title. But definitely when I started, I had no business doing that. It was just a really easy to remember website name. <laughs> and you have a book, right? Yes. And I also have a book that was published by Penguin and it's called The Good Life for Less. So it's basically a handbook for someone who is a new homemaker, how do I get dinner on the table, care for my home, clean, make a budget, do all of those things. So it's a, a basics guide that I would give to someone who's a newlywed, for example, or just starting a life on their own. And so that is the intent of the book is just kind of a beginner course on that kind of stuff. Right. So, so you are the super practical, let's just figure out how to do this. I agree with you. And I think and I, I have not done the research to support this and say for sure, but I feel like our generation, because I have one who's 20 as well. I think our oldest are the same age. I feel like our generation kind of missed the home ec or something like maybe yeah. when they, because my mom loved home ec, like she took four years of home ec and she learned so much. And so many things she would do in the house, she would refer to having learned it in this class, this home ec class. And it's not that people didn't take home ec, but I, I feel like the emphasis just came off of it. Like it wasn't, I don't know. I, you know, and my mom taught me things. I'm not acting like she didn't teach me things, but as far as like a real, Hey, there's an art to this and there's a method and there are actual like, you know, strategies and things. I just felt like I kind of missed a lot of that. Yeah, we were lucky. We had things like Food Network, for example. And mm -hmm. I remember that being a big helper for me when I was first starting out. I also did check out when I was first starting out on a budget depression era books because I found them so inspiring. And I love reading about how people make things stretch and those kinds of lessons can carry over in any decade. There's always like a little tidbit of information. There was also a really great newsletter that my mother-in-law had subscribed to called the Tightwad Gazette. I don't know if you ever got I've it. I've heard of it, yeah. Yes, it was like a handbook. They, they even made it into a book, but it was a newsletter that you would get in the mail. And it had all of these great throwback recipes, you know, like what to do with dryer lint. And, and some of them are obviously not things that I would necessarily look into, but no matter what our budget, I always lean into my frugalness and practicality. I like to save for my retirement. I think all of these things are really important to still keep doing no matter where you end up going with your budget. Right. Yeah. So you have made a shift in the last, how long would you say a couple of years now? Yeah, it's been about three years. Okay. Roughly. So my, you know, we've been friends online and, you know, so I would see the things you were posting and I saw that, that this was going on and you ended up with a medical diagnosis. Um, so I, do you mind sharing what that is? And I would like to know the, the road to that diagnosis, like what made you start asking questions? How hard was it to get your diagnosis? All of that. Yeah. So I was around the age of 38. So it, in particular, what ended up happening was that I was addressing some Christmas cards and really having a hard time holding a pencil and gripping it and writing properly. It was very strange, but I kept having all of these horrific hand cramps and I was having troubles with my elbow and we didn't know if it was carpal tunnel. You know, I'm on the computer a lot. So it started out as kind of a is this carpal tunnel and that's where we originally started but as things 
progressed, it was other joints. So then it wasn't just my elbow, it was my knee would go out and I was bracing my knee. And I ended up having all of these braces. So it was just rotating braces. I'm having a finger out. I don't know what's going on with that. It was it was almost feeling like a hypochondriac, honestly. It was mm-hmm. getting to the point where I felt embarrassed to brace something because, you know, people are like, what's with you now? You know, because you're just continually having issues. Um, so we ran all the tests for carpal tunnel, radial tunnel, x-rays, everything's coming back normal. And I ended up attending a Bible study. And I don't even know, I, I would say I'm not really a Bible study person, but I was feeling really alone at the time and ended up joining this women's study. And I had come in again with another brace and the lady that was leading the class said something to me like, oh, I just, I happen to notice that you've been bracing something, is something wrong? And I was like, you know, it's just crazy. All these different things keep happening to me, having trouble riding, I can't use my elbow, I'm having cramps, uh, my knee, now my foot's going out, I don't know what's going on. And she was like, I'm gonna ask you some kind of weird questions. Mm -hmm. And she was asking me about my flexibility. And, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I remember at the dinner table showing people how I could bend my fingers backwards. I was a dancer. I, you know, was very bendy. I loved yoga, you know, all of the things I did dance. I even did dance as an adult. I was taking a dance class until my joints were going out all the time. And she said, I think that you need to talk to your doctor. I think that you might have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And there is a type called the hypermobile type, which is type three. And it's gone through some name changes over the Mm -hmm. years. There's lots of different kinds, but the hypermobile kind is something that you, you know, should look into. So I recalled her blogging about her brother getting diagnosed and then it being a process of a family. Once one family member is diagnosed, basically, it kind of spirals out from there because it you have like a 50-50 genetic chance of passing that on to your children and your children have 50-50 chance. So it kind of goes through a family tree. So when you think about EDS, you also don't just get a diagnosis for yourself, but oftentimes you think about your parent who maybe had a hard time when you were growing up that had a lot of unexplained problems going on. And then maybe you look at your children and you're like, oh my gosh, like, They've had this going on and this going on. So we came in to talk to the doctor and I had brought it up over the dinner table with my family, just kind of laughing about, you know, you know, look how flexible. And my kids were laughing and they were showing how flexible they were. And it was kind of like one of those things like, oh gosh, that would be awful. Like, I hope that's not what we have. And we went into the doctor for a routine exam for my son. And I just decided I wasn't gonna bring it up. And Ethan said at his exam, Uh, are you going to ask him about our flexibility? And I was holding my elbow and the doctor looked at me and then he looked at Ethan and he was having issues with his back. And he was like, "Uh, we need to run a quick test. And so basically the test is checking your flexibility in certain aspects. Can you touch your, you know, hands to the floor? Can you, you know, do certain things with your flexibility and we pass with flying colors you also have stretchy skin so a lot of times people with eds look really young they don't look their age because your skin is different it's like velvety and usually they have you know the kind of skin you might admire because it has a lot of stretch to it a lot of collagen like that you are after with your beauty products but inside your body is kind of falling apart because your joints don't stay where they're supposed to. So that flexibility that worked for me in a lot of ways with my dance and my yoga, those things start working against you because your joints don't actually stay where they're supposed to be. So it's not necessarily that your joint goes completely out, but it's called subluxation. And it basically is where the joint doesn't fit exactly right. And that creates a lot of pain and friction in your body, it causes a lot of just horrible chronic pain. And typically women start exhibiting symptoms greater when those hormonal shifts happen, where you're feeling like more run down, joint pain comes along with things like perimenopause and menopause. So it's not unheard of for someone to be not diagnosed until their late 30s or 40s. Whereas now that we are more aware of that as a disease. It's considered a rare disease, but I think there's more conversation around it. There's a lot of celebrities like Sia, 
Jamila Jamil. She was just um, sharing about her journey with that. Uh, Leah Dunham. So like there's a lot of celebrities that have it. And so there's more talk about what that is. So it's it is a rare disease, but it's not necessarily rare. It's just rarely diagnosed. And I think there's more conversation developing around it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. For those who've been listening for a while, you may have heard me talk about how time is a container. It's a finite thing. And if I try to squeeze too much into the time that I have available, I get stressed and anxious. Therapy can be a place to talk through realistic priorities and goals, helping you deal with stress and anxiety when your days feel overwhelming. It's been great for me to talk through setting boundaries and improving coping skills with a therapist. BetterHelp is entirely online. That makes scheduling convenient and flexible. To get started, you just have to fill out a brief questionnaire that will match you with a licensed therapist. If needed, you can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash clean today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash clean. I am so excited to be working outdoors in my garden again. Fresh air and sunshine really do affect my mood. I'd rather spend more time outside and less time inside making dinner. That's why I love using Prep Dish. It helps me get our meals planned and prepped for the week. I receive a weekly meal plan in my inbox every Friday that fits my family's eating style. There are four to choose from. Each comes complete with recipes, a grocery list, and a detailed plan that walks me through a short prep session and sets me up for success for the coming week. Prep Dish's step-by-step meal prep plan only takes about an hour of prep each week, which I can work into my routine pretty easily. I can then get healthy homemade meals onto the table incredibly quickly throughout the week because the prep work is already done. If you're ready to free up some brain space, I've got great news for you. I got you two weeks free so you can try out the prep dish meal plans for yourself and see if they're a good fit for your family. Just go to prepdish.com slash a slob comes clean for a two week free trial. Again, that's prepdish.com slash a slob comes clean for your first two weeks free. You won't regret it. Spring is arriving and with the change of season, it may be time to upgrade your wardrobe because our closets are a defined space, a container. It's nice to give priority space to high quality items that you love. Quince makes high quality possible. They carry high-end products at great prices. Things like organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14-karat gold jewelry. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. My son got so much use out of the down puffer vest I ordered for him this winter. So now I'll be looking at Quince for sundresses for myself for summer. Quince partners directly with top factories, which cuts out the cost of the middleman. That means more savings for us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash clean for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash clean to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash clean. Okay, so let's talk about what are some of the challenges that you face? Like, you know, so here on the podcast, we talk about managing your home, you know, which includes anything to do with that cleaning, decluttering, daily stuff, meal planning, all that kind of stuff. What are some of the challenges that, what are the challenges caused by your chronic illness? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I would say that the biggest challenge is, and I think this is the case with anyone who has chronic illness, is that you don't know what you're going to get when you wake up. I can't necessarily plan very well about what is going to transpire with my body. I woke up yesterday and a hip had gone out and I was hobbling around my house. So it's very frustrating in the aspect that, you know, as someone who I would say I'm very, I'm a type one, I'm very OCD. I like things to be perfect in my life and things to run well. This has really stretched who I am out of the capacity of what I feel comfortable with. Because finding out like when you wake up in the morning, oh, like my neck isn't working or a hip has gone out or I can't get up and down my stairs right now. 
those kinds of things start creating challenges with keeping home and routine because there just is no way to anticipate what's going to happen. And I can do things to try to create my perfect day. Like I can stay on top of it with my supplements. I can get good rest. I can try to eat well. Those are the things that I can control, but I can't necessarily control what is gonna happen. And so there has to be flexibility that wasn't there before, you know, because I don't really have a choice. There's also the idea of allowing other people to help you, which is not something I love. It felt really hard to say, okay, you know what? I can't actually keep up with the house by myself. And so while there is compromise with that, I also feel like I was able to say, you know what, we do need someone to come once every other week mm -hmm. and help get the harder stuff, the things that physically are too hard for me to do, like floors, for example, would be a, a good one, something mm -hmm. that's going to cause uh, possibly a joint to come out, like really hard scrubbing and things like that. So I can do what I can to maintain my situation, but I can't necessarily do the hard stuff. And I need to be at peace with that. And I think that's something that a lot of people that have been diagnosed with something, letting some of that go or even being uncomfortable with it not being the way that you would normally have it. That was really hard for me. It has been a hard lesson to give myself grace and understand that there are going to be days I can't do anything and be okay with that. And that that is not a significant failure on my part that I can't no. do it. So what are some adjustments that you've made to your daily routines? I've seen you cause I, you know, we follow each other on Instagram. I watch your meal planning, your meal prepping and things like that. Is that something that you have adjusted due to this diagnosis? Yeah, so I think part of this was really driven by the pandemic. All, I had so many people at home that I wasn't used to that. So being home by myself and like kind of dealing with all of that stuff, that's one thing. But when you are responsible for everyone and everyone's around in the home, then you're also responsible for those people too. And in 2020, I was just really having a hard time juggling everything that was happening with my health, my work, and my children, which I think any parent you know, has that kind of dilemma. But the added thing of like, I don't know if this is going to be a good day or not definitely adds another layer to all of it. So I knew that for me to feel well, I do have to eat well. I have, um, you know, the, the EDS diagnosis usually comes with something called mast cell disease. And that is something where your body's like allergic response is really high. Mm -hmm. And so you have to try to keep your body in more of a neutral zone. And so eating well is important for my health. And uh, it's also something that, you know, we all should be doing, but is really particularly critical with everything that's going on. And so I started implementing one day a week of basically making all of the food. And I have a system to it. So I want to also say that when I talk about this, I feel like it's important to note that I used to do food content. So I did recipes. I did a lot of clients. I might do five recipes in one day. So I can do that pretty easily. Whereas this might take a little while to get a rhythm if you don't do that normally. So maybe right. starting out with this idea as two dishes that you make for a day and not thinking of it as a whole week. Even two dishes gives you a lot of bandwidth. So basically my daughter got me hooked on Sunday Reset on TikTok. And if you ever feel like you're in a slump with your cleaning routines or you know, just your own self-care routines, this hashtag is really, really helpful. And sometimes to gear up for what I need to do, I sit and I watch this hashtag of people going through their own routines. And some of those routines might be things like, you know, doing my supplements or, you know, washing my hair or maybe doing my nails or washing my sheets. Those are things that internally make me feel much better about myself and about everything that's going on. And then the other thing that I do is I clean out my fridge on Sunday. I assess what we need for the week and what we don't need. And I get my Instacart order in and delivered on that day. And then Monday is the day that I actually do all of my meal prep. And mm -hmm. I have 
also learned that one thing that's really important on Sunday that's kind of a reward to myself is that I search for audiobooks that I can do while I'm doing my meal prep. So I research, like find like, oh, what won the Audi Awards, for example, for best audible narration. I want to listen to something really pleasant, something that's going to be fun. Sometimes that's dishy. Sometimes it's fantasy driven, something that's going to help me escape from that task that I need to get done. And then on Monday, I just crank it out and I buy the containers that you can get at Costco, those takeout containers. I prep all of the meals in there. And a lot of times I can get a good 20 meals done because I basically do the same kind of recipes over and over. I don't try new things on that day. Like if I try a new thing, I save that for a day. I have really good energy and I'm excited to try something new. These are days that I'm like making a protein, a seafood dish. You know, I have a brown rice that I make every week and I just prop all of that and put it in our fridge. So granted, if the week holds like a horrible week for me, I can usually devote energy and sometimes pain pills to that Monday, you know, to get through it. And then I get to enjoy all the reward throughout the week. I'm well fed. Everyone feels better when we eat well. And also I love knowing how much I'm saving too, because the frugality aspect is still there. So in some ways it helps relieve me to know that like I'm, I'm saving money, I'm eating well, and I also feel really accomplished, even though I've only had to do something really hard one day a week. Yeah, and then if the rest of the up. week, yeah. yeah, if the rest of the week goes south, okay, well, but I, I did that one thing, and that makes me feel good. So, what are some you mentioned audiobooks? So I love the idea of because for me, that's that's kind of like when I go for my like hard writing days, I will pick an audiobook so that I know, okay, while I'm eating my lunch, whatever, this is going to be my companion. And then I can like listen to it over the course of those things. And that's like my thing that keeps me on track because when I get into a really good audiobook, I love it. Have you read one, two, three? Yes. That audiobook was amazing. I loved it. I just finished it. And it was like, well, now I have to catch up on all my podcasts because it was so good. I wasn't, because normally I'll like listen to my podcast and then come back to the audiobook, but Oh my word, that audio was amazing. Yes, that was amazing. And also listening to how they put that together during the pandemic because they didn't have their normal facilities and stuff. I was actually very disappointed to see that it had not been nominated for an audio award because I felt like that was probably the best performance of any of the audiobooks that I did listen to. Yeah. So just a little bit about it for those of y'all listening. One, two, three is, um, I won't go into the whole story, but just so you know, it has three narrators and they are triplets. So the first one, uh, anyway, they have names, but they refer to each other as one, two, three. And the third, I guess the youngest triplet is differently abled right? I loved the author at the end, she was being interviewed and she said, I try to portray a wider range of normal. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. You know, so she speaks with the assistive technology. And so her narrating of the chapters that she does is her, you, you know, but then every once in a while she'll mention something that she said out loud. And so then she'll say it the way that we would hear but we're not hearing if we were in person, we wouldn't hear all the things going on in her head. And then she speaks, you know, with a computerized voice through a tablet. And it was just like, I felt like, cause one of the things I always share with people, like I have a thing on my, on my website with like, I love to read books with perspectives of people who are different than me. And I felt like I, that's what I loved about this book. I mean, I loved yeah. a lot of things about it, but that, especially I was like, I see the world differently now. And yes. She's an amazing writer. Her first book was really good too. And I was really lucky because I felt like I got to interview her when her debut came out. So that was very exciting for me because I felt like this is like a writer that we all should be following. And that book in particular on audio is, is really a treat. And how they did narrate those three sisters was just a beautiful performance. Yeah, it was great. There are some naughty words. I always have to tell people that, but it's, not excessive, but there are, you know, just so you know, 
<laughs> since I don't cuss on my podcast, I always feel like, and people are always like, yeah, I can listen to it with my kids. I want to make sure that people understand, you know what I mean? <laughs> that they're not like Dana said it was good. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's minimal, but, uh, anyway, since we're talking about that, let's talk about how you've adjusted your work, because I think what the reason I wanted to have you on, you know, it, so the last chapter of decluttering at the speed of life, which was my second book is about grief and grief, how it contributes to, you know, making decluttering difficult because you're like, wait, this is what I envisioned my life to be. Hmm. And these things represent what I thought was going to happen, how I thought things were going to go. And then they haven't gone that way. And sometimes that getting letting those things go, I'm going to say letting go as opposed to getting rid of, but like letting those things go often kind of brings us into or through that grief process. And you didn't know that this was how things were going to go. And yet what I've loved watching in you is that you've made adjustments. So I was on your podcast recently, your podcast is the book gang podcast, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so you talk about books, which you've always done to a degree, but you've shifted like, you know, like you said, it's hard to use your computer. It's hard to use your hands. And so you've shifted and done something different. So tell us a little bit about how you came to that shift and was it difficult? Like what, did you have to grieve that at all? Yeah. I think that goes back to identity because you are losing your identity when all of that is happening. And there is like the whole grieving process. It's anger. Like, why do I have this? And I've done everything right. And I could do everything right and I'm still having a bad day. It's very frustrating. My job, although probably to a lot of ears doesn't sound that physical, but camera equipment is very heavy and doing fine motor movement things was no longer in my capacity. So something like taking out tweezers and moving a parsley around doesn't sound that taxing or hunching over a flat lay so you can get that perfect shot doesn't sound that hard until you're really thinking about all of the things that go into that. I was having a hard time coordinating my motor movement. Uh, It challenges my vision. I have blood pressure swings where I all of a sudden just feel like I'm going to faint and it doesn't really make any sense, but that's what my body's doing. And so the idea of continuing to do what I was doing, which was very physical, very demanding, taking on a lot of clients, maybe cranking out, you know, five. There were times where I was doing, you know, 10 to 12 projects for other brands, not for myself. So people had hired me to do work. Explain what a project would be. So for example, I worked as a spokesperson for Kenmore, which is a brand for Sears. And every month I would create a project around a small appliance. So let's say we were promoting slow cookers. I would create a slow cooker candle recipe. I would write that content. I would photograph that content. I would create those Pinterest graphics that people would look at. I would create the social shares. I would write everything that needed to be going over to them. Um, And that was just one project. So I would have easily 10 to 12 projects for a client. I might do crafting for someone. And so I would be making whatever that was from start to finish, you know, trying to photograph a tutorial. So I knew that my work was slowing down naturally because, you know, the industry has changed a lot. I knew that I was going to have to lean into something else even before all of this happened. Like there's no way to keep on this hamster wheel and not like to sustain that even as someone who doesn't have a chronic illness. It was exhausting. I have a great admiration for anyone who does content writing. As frivolous as it might look, it is one of the hardest industries because you're constantly on that creation hamster wheel. So I knew that I was going to have to pivot, but the big conversation was the one with my physical therapist where she said, you know, as I'm unable to clutch a pencil or I'm having trouble at a computer or I can't hold my camera, I really want you to start, you know, kind of thinking about that you're going to need to make some changes. And that might be things like going to voice software. I want you to think about not sending those texts, use your voice, try to not be using your fingers so much so that you can, you know, save your joints. I think that you need to think about how your work could change, that kind of stuff. And books have always been a big part of my life. It it was a something that we had shared about on the site 
reading is a frugal activity. So I just would share my book stacks. So I thought, you know, when I'm unable to get around, the thing that I'm doing is reading. So what if I try to pivot myself and I try to make reading the thing that is the income driver? So Bookstagram and all of those things that people see on Instagram where people are doing a lot of book content, it doesn't pay as well as creating all of those recipes and the craft content that I was driving. So it's almost like trying a different hamster wheel. It's still creation. It's still being creative, but I'm able to read on my bad days, no matter what, like that is my escape. And if I could figure out a way to pivot my business where I could make income and be true to myself, because, you know, I'm always going to want to stay in my lane. Like if, if all of a sudden I started promoting a luxury brand, people would be like, we're not on board. <laughs> but reading is one of those activities that you can do pretty much on any budget. And the library is such a great resource. So that's what I decided to lean into with my work. And it has been a really enormous shift for me to know that it, it may not be profitable for a while. It might be trying to transition my audience to something that they are less familiar with, something like Patreon, where someone's paying in for content. It's writing different kinds of content and then learning to podcast, which was my big project when I was kind of stuck in bed, was just watching tons of YouTube tutorials to try and teach myself how to do something. And I figured, you know, the worst that happens is it's not successful. I tried and, you know, that's better than me sitting in bed, like crying and feeling sad about my situation. I needed to be proactive. I wanted to be the person that was narrating the story. On the outside, it just looks like I did a shift, but on the inside, it was a, a lot of internal work. I would recommend for anybody who is, you know, grappling with chronic pain, there is a really great app called Curable that I used a lot in those beginning days when I was trying to figure out like, how am I going to make this shift? How do I deal with my chronic pain? And it's something that you need a lot of help with. Like you need therapy and you need people who are going to be supportive. It might mean changing your friend circle, which was also something that I wasn't expecting. It means, you know, being open to whatever is coming and also learning that pivoting is okay. And I think that we all have learned that in 2020 was like the major pivot for just about everybody, like that there's a lot of things that we can't control and you have to figure out how you want that story to play out. And there's some aspects of my story I can't change, but I can think about what I'm doing and what is going to make sense for my body. And I need to think about future Amy and not think about present, like the Amy now, because the disease does progress and I need to be thinking about, okay, what would that look like for Amy 10 years down the road? Like, mm -hmm. is that going to be a good thing for her body? No, but could I maybe change the things that I'm doing and make that a different kind of story? And so that's why I'm working on is we're kind of narrating a different kind of story for myself. So that those changes, is there anything specifically in certain basic tasks that you look for or that you realize, wait, I need to change how I do this? Like, is there a process that you go through in that? Is it when pain is caused, when you do something that you realize is similar to something else that has caused pain in the past or a flare up or anything like that? Would you call it a flare up when you have days like that? Yeah, it, it definitely is like a constant pain. So I think that it's more kind of getting in that mindset where you're not going to it's it it will be there because i don't want to like belittle anyone's pain because it is it's a horrible feeling mm -hmm. but also the fact that there is some things that i can control like how i approach what's happening like are there things that i can be doing in my work that would calm my nervous system for example there have been times that I do a podcast and I have a weighted blanket on my lap to settle down my system so that I feel calm. Or I might have a heating pad going while I'm, you know, doing those kinds of things, doing things that make my body feel comforted and supported during my work definitely helps. So that might be, you know, a playlist that is calming to my system. It is maybe having some essential oils, something that's pleasant 
to me to smell while I'm working and having low lights and doing things that make my system feel calm because anything I can do to try to like reduce that helps. Things for me that are helpful are things like compression helps. So like compression leggings or compression stockings, something that calms down all of the craziness because my body doesn't stay where it's supposed to. Anything that makes me feel aware of where I'm at in space. They also make like orthotics for shoes that have almost like a prickly bottom that tell me where my feet are supposed to go, which is kind of silly, but it, it is helpful for people that maybe have overcome strokes or have struggles with balance. And so it's things that make my body feel spatially aware too. And sometimes it's like a cue, like a brace on my elbow when my elbow is bothering me also is a cue that lets me know, okay, like your elbow is supported, you're okay right now. And so those kinds of things are very helpful. Also, as far as the house goes, low lights in general are very helpful because I have less time to fixate on what's not happening in the house. And my husband kind of laughs at this, but I want to give this tip because I think it's a good one. As someone who has like OCD tendencies, it's very hard for me to settle down at night because that's when I start ramping back up with everything that I didn't get done during the day because of everything that's happening with my illness. So I have learned to have the lowest lights on, but I do a quick vac through the kitchen with my lightweight vacuum, but I don't actually know what's happening. Like I feel like it's done, like I did it, I I quick vac'd, but I don't have time to speculate on just like if the counters are perfectly comfy, free, are the floors perfectly comfy? I don't necessarily know, but it makes me feel like that task is completed so I can go to bed. So I think sometimes like adjusting the way that you're visually perceived. That's really, I think that's interesting. I've always heard the stories about like people who were so excited to get electric lights in their house. And then they got him and went, oh my word, this place is so dirty. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, let's take advantage of that and just turn the lights down a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know my husband's come in while I'm doing it, like flips on the light and I'm like, turn the light off. Like, what are you doing? You know, I I feel like I don't want to know, but it does make me feel a sense of completion. So if there's something that you can do to like soften the blow of like, how well or how not well you've done a task. I think that sometimes that helps too. That's fun. Okay. So I do want to talk about, I I know you've mentioned that you tried the lids on the containers thing from organizing for the rest of us. Okay. Do you, are there any ways that you, because of your energy limitations, that kind of things, have you found a benefit in that area of just not having to match things up or Yeah, uh, the container matching for me was really key for my Monday because I did spend a lot of time on the floor. And I want to say, too, that speaking to that point and then some like just general things about having a chronic illness, I think that when we got this house, which was like 19 years ago, we had different expectations and goals for what our home was going to do for us. So I had all those containers, for example, way down low, and they were not matched together. And when I think about my kitchen, it was for a different version of myself. Like the things that I had put into place that seemed like smart structure that worked for me did work for me then. But now my home doesn't work for me anymore. I can't do a lot of squatting. I have to be mindful about things that are stacked or heavy or hard to pull out. Are things making sense? And that has been a big thing too this year is trying to sort out not only just, you know, something simple like container matching, which can be really key, but also like, is this placement working for me now? And Mm -hmm. so that has been a big shift too, because there are a lot of things that I didn't really think about, like something like bending down to get a coffee mug out of a low cabinet isn't ideal for me. I have to think about everything as a spoon, as they say, because the spoon Mm -hmm. principle is so key. Like how many spoons is it going to take for me to squat down to pull a pot out if it's super heavy for me to do and I'm going to throw out a joint doing that? I don't want to do that anymore. And so getting some things in place, I think, you know, it is great that there are so many ways on social media that you can see how people organize things. And there are things that have really worked for me, like having a pot organizer does help, like creating some vertical 
type of system where I'm not pulling everything down and hurting myself or, you know, just really thinking about, okay, that's not where that should go anymore. It needs to be up high or it needs to be lower or I don't use that anymore and I don't want it in this kitchen because it's upsetting. And sometimes it's thinking about like things that remind you of your old version of yourself. You want to get rid of those too because it makes yeah. you feel like crap when you like see something like, for example, I did a dance class. I don't want to see those shoes. I don't want to see any clothes from that time because I'm starting a new version of myself. And I will work on that in therapy, the internal work that needs to happen. But also, like, if there are things around my house that make me not feel good about myself, I don't want them in my house anymore. So I think there has been a big overhaul. Your key about, like, you know, matching things, that was a really taxing thing on top of a very taxing day was to sit down and try to figure out, okay, what container goes with what? When you're making 20 meals, okay, 20 times I was having to do that, trying to find the containers. So I actually gave myself a treat. I let myself watch. I put together a list of all of the Oscar contenders at the time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do a project that I can sit in front of my TV and like sort. And that's what I did. So I sorted them. I watched CODA and I sorted everything. And so I got a treat. Everything is motivated by treats for me, just like my cat. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of treat can I give myself? And so that that definitely helped. I also will say from your book, the shower tool using a dish wand tool was very helpful to me too, because it bothered me so much to have everything out of sorts. And that was something that I could do without like leaning down necessarily. I could, you know, do what was within reach or what felt good. And it just those little kinds of things, just like, you know, vacuuming without the lights on, that makes me feel just enough at peace that I'm not worried about it as much. And so anything that I can take emotional weight off helps. That's great. I love that. So, so I define your clutter threshold as the amount of stuff that you personally can keep under control easily. Meaning, and we, you kind of talked about that with your, your kitchen, like things have to be even more easily accessible than they used to be. Um, because of the physical challenges that you have now, what are some other ways that your clutter threshold has changed since the diagnosis? You know, are there other areas of your home where you've realized, you know what, it's actually easier for me to just have less stuff in here because it helps me be able to handle it better? Yeah, I would say that, you know, in all honesty, prior to the pandemic, everything felt pretty under control, organized. I felt like my clutter threshold was like everything was being met where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. I think the hard thing for me has been that my husband is now permanently working remote. My son is done with school. So now I have two people here all the time. And for some reason that almost cre like feels like a lot just because I felt more in control of everything. I have less control when there's so many people home during the day to like reset and make everything the way that I want. So I now am desiring to let go even more of the stuff that we have in our house. And I feel like our challenge has been, we wanted to pay our house off, which is great. Like we're getting very close to that. That was one of our big financial goals, but this house, isn't necessarily meeting us where we need it now. And so we are starting to think more about how can we make this the house for the next chapter? Because now we have a child that's graduated, my, my daughter's in high school, and my husband's working permanently remote. I need a place to be, you know, so we are more thinking about not necessarily just the clutter itself, but does the home serve the same purpose? Like, does this mm -hmm. room even need to exist in this way anymore? And does this furniture even match what we need now? Um, and so it's going to be a process of also decluttering and then creating new space for myself because, you know, I'm sharing an office, so I need a different place. Yeah. So I ended up in our bedroom working because I, I need my own space. And so we are thinking about what rooms could be my room, you know, mm -hmm. my place to unwind and decompress. And also what's going to make me feel like the best version of myself. And that will be a home with less clutter. But yeah. it is also making peace that there is going to be clutter. And there's also going to 
you know, be a house that's not always clean and perfect anymore. And being okay with that, that that doesn't mean that there's any, like, I'm not a dirty person or that I'm, you know, like there's strong feelings about that for me to say that it's okay that things not be perfect all the time. And that as long as everyone is happy and we're loved and we feel supported in this space, I want to do everything I can to do that. But also maybe there are places that we could make this home meet our needs now. So as we finish up, tell me, I know you can't go back and I know there was no way for you to see in the past, you know, 10 years ago where things were going to be right now and these challenges that you're facing. But what are some general things that you would tell yourself 10 years ago that are just general life principles you've learned that would have helped you now when you hit the situation? Like, are there some things that you wish you would have done differently back then, either as you set up your house or whatever that would help you now? And I, with the understanding that that's not possible, but you know, yeah. if, because, because the reality is there are people listening right now who are going to receive a diagnosis in the next 10 years. Right. And yeah. most people listening to my podcast struggle with home routines and clutter and things. So what are some things that you would tell yourself back then and just say, Hey, this is worth it to do because of what could come at some point in the future? Yeah. I think that, you know, the clutter thing is going to be a problem when you are not able to care for things in the same aspect. And I would just say that, you know, looking at everything now, I would say the first step should be internal work. Like, I feel like the internal work will also help with home management. It helps with how you project yourself, what kind of person that you are out in the world. I think that I did not credit enough that some of those things that were quirky about me were things that I needed to talk to, to with someone else. And I would say that I didn't give enough credit to that and to the, the good habits that I should have been doing. I think that it was easy for me to stay up late. It was great to have extra glasses of wine. Um, I think that there's also acknowledging that when you have a diagnosis that there is a blue spell that comes with it and that that depression needs to be managed and not uh, numbed out. And I think that I was using a lot of numbing out prior to all of this happening to avoid dealing with my stuff. Like being very organized and clutter free also was something that you know, there was some emotional work that needed to happen, whether that's, you know, sometimes that it comes into play with your family life or what kind of home environment you might have grown up in. And those kinds of things can start projecting into your home and and also that it can be difficult to, you know, manage the home if you don't have the emotional capacity to do it. And so if I was going to tell myself 10 years ago, I would say maybe look at what my habits were, how was I filling my time, what I was getting fixated on when it came to the clutter, what was actually like weighing me down, not necessarily the objects in my home, but like what are the things that I could do to make myself better? And I think that one of the things that I'm learning is that I can be a better parent if I work on my own stuff. And I think 10 years ago, I didn't really care about that. I was like, as long as I'm keeping it together, as long as everyone's seeing this projected version of myself, if as long as my house looks perfect, then I'm doing great. But really, there was a lot of work on myself that I needed to do. And I'm I'm really proud of this generation. I feel like this might be our generation and the generations prior that have a harder time acknowledging that there was some emotional work that needed to be worked through. Because mm -hmm. I think that if I would have been in a better mindset to start with, I would have had a different reaction to everything. And I also wanna say that it's normal to have a different kind of reaction after you get diagnosed too, and to be angry and to be depressed and also to have you know, habits that maybe you aren't proud of, or you do things to try to numb out to not deal with your chronic pain. So anything that you can do, you know, to put yourself in a better emotional place is always going to benefit your family. I mean, that's the best version 
of myself that I can show up for my kids and for my spouse and for myself. And, you know, that kind of work is sometimes more than or part Mm -hmm. of the problem of what's going on in the house. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Okay. Tell everybody where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me at momadvice.com. I'm momadvice on Instagram. If you want to learn about good books to check out, you can find me at Book Gang on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you may get your podcasts. Okay. All right. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for being willing to come on. And I appreciate you being honest and being open about, um, what you've been through and the changes that you've had to make and that grief is part of that process. Um, I think that's, that's great. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Did y'all love that conversation with Amy? I know that a lot of us are readers (laughs) that's one of those things that we end up talking about around here, uh, in conversations. And so go check out her podcast. I love book recommendations and she just takes it very seriously and does an excellent job of recommending books, explaining why all that kind of stuff and makes me want to just read more every time I listen to her podcast. So, okay. I just want to remind you, don't forget, take your go sign up. You won't regret it. Okay. I'll talk to y'all later. Bye.